The World Economic Forum released its 2023 Global Risks Report in January. The 18th annual report highlights the challenges of addressing immediate and long-term risks. For example, the number one risk in the next two years was identified as cost of living crisis, whereas the top risk over a 10-year time frame was failure to mitigate climate change. The report, which is produced in partnership with Zurich Insurance Group and Marsh McLennan, draws on the views of more than 1,200 global risks experts, policymakers, and industry leaders. The report argues, among other things, that unless the world starts to cooperate more effectively on climate mitigation and climate adaption over the next 10 years, we will experience continued global warming and ecological breakdown. Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. I'm David Hilgen. Our guests today are two insurance industry professionals. Reed Sawyer is Managing Director, Head of Emerging Risks Group and U.S. Cyber Risk Consulting Leader for Marsh. Robin A. Kemper is a Senior Risk Engineer with Zurich Resilience Solutions. Reed and Robin will lead a session along with Carolina Clint, Marsh's Risk Management Leader for Europe, at RIMS Risk World on May 2nd in Atlanta on the annual WEF report and other global risks and the resilient strategies that businesses should consider. Hi, Reed and Robin. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, David. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm really happy to be part of this discussion. Yeah, David, likewise. Looking forward to the conversation. Great. Robin, I'm going to start with you. There's a lot to unpack in this 98-page report. Let's start with the big picture. What, to you, is the most striking thing that you found when reading the Global Risks Report? Well, I guess what I found the most striking was this term that I believe they coined themselves was called polycrisis which means multiple crises are happening at the same time. And most importantly, these crises are interconnected and feed on each other. Therefore, the sum of the negative impacts of these uh, various crises adds up to be more than if you're just looking at one of these crises alone. Yeah. And, and what's really surprising is this concept and the reality of this is nothing new. I mean, it, it's been out there for time immemorial. But the report, this is the first time it looks like the Global Risk Report has brought it to light and is truly focusing on it. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. Reed, same to you. What What is your key takeaway from the report? You know, I think that this concept that Robin's talking about, the compounding crisis, and, and really I think this is a call to action mm -hmm. for risk professionals, for executives and boards to develop new ways to measure and, and manage risk better. And I think that that came through with the way that the, the specific domain issues that the report and the experts highlighted. But it's really to me the message is how do we think about this accelerating and compounding future of risk that we're dealing with and that we're facing at this time? Good point. You know, in addition to the polycrisis, the WEF report places a lot of emphasis on the interconnections of risks. It's not always obvious to see a connection, say, between cost of living crisis and failure of climate change adaption, but the link is there. As risk professionals, do you look to identify these connections and how do you help customers to see the relationships between risks? Uh, Reed, why don't you go first this time? You know, certainly, right? I mean, this idea of interconnectivity between risks or the correlations between different risk areas is crucial to understanding not only what the severity is of any given event, but also how do we think about those types of events impacting across the entirety of the value chain, right? Maybe said differently, it's, it's this need and imperative to pull ourselves out of a siloed approach to risk, 
whether it's cyber or climate or supply chain and thinking about what those shocks means, but rather identifying those interconnections. And it's something that is just crucial for organizations to be attacking um, more so than what we've done with very traditional risk management approaches. You can see that it read this report over the years. You see the list of risks that survey respondents can select from continues to grow. So <laughs> with more risk, there's more interconnections, it seems. Robin, are there any risk interconnections that stand out to you? Well, Reed has really brought them together. One risk that is truly overarching, and I believe it's Reed's specialty, is the cyber risk. Mm-hmm. You know, how no matter what you do and you look at all your supply chain and, you know, cost of living and the climate actions and where you're located and how you're being affected by what's going on in the world, even your workforce, everything, you have a major cyber breach. Mm-hmm. Everything else and everything you've done to mitigate risk may go by the wayside. Yeah, it's true. You know, we're going to touch on cyber a little bit later, but I want to talk more about the climate environmental risks that seem to have dominated the Global Risk Perception Survey, which is a key part of the report for several years now. Uh, there seems to be a sense of urgency about climate change that wasn't around, say, 10 years ago. Robin, why do you think that is? Well, first of all, you know, while there may be more focus on climate and environmental risks, especially in some circles mm-hmm. today than there was 10 years ago, I don't think there's been a true sense of urgency across the world, okay. certainly nowhere near as much as we need. Sure. I believe that has to do with human nature. You know, most people just wait till the last minute to get things done. You know, they focus on the here and now and kind of hope, well, what's out there, maybe it'll resolve itself on its own. And until it's right in front of them, they don't really get moving in the direction. Uh, you know, if you don't have money to pay for bread today, you're not going to be looking about, are we even going to be able to grow the wheat tomorrow? However, it is true that in the U.S. in recent years, we've really seen the effect of global change with the increase in wildfires and storm activity, uh, the intensities and the number of them, uh, earthquakes, you name it. We've seen it and therefore it has raised public awareness of the problems because it's hitting home. You know, when it hits home, people become more aware. So that's why I think you'll see more of it, more of an acceptance that something's going on. People may not all agree why, but at least they realize there are things that are changing and it's becoming more of a problem. I still worry about how people need to still understand that this is a long-term solution and it has to be started today. As Reed said earlier, it's a call for action and we cannot just focus on the here and now and put off for tomorrow because tomorrow may not be able to be brought back to where we want it to be. Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, People now are acknowledging that climate change is real, which I don't think many did 10 years ago. Reed, do you have anything to add to what Robin said? You know, I think think it's just functionally, David, human nature, right, is that we tend to focus on things that are hitting us in the face rather than taking the longer view to risk. And so as we start to think about climate and these issues and the way that Robin's articulated it, Right. It's this need to think past the next ridge line to, to scan the horizon and start to identify longer term risks for CapEx planning, how we think about shocks to OpEx, right? Where is it that our business is going to be? And, and really starting to take a longer term horizon view to risk, right? Moving this from single quarter by quarter, year by year, where's ransomware going today? But what are those trends that are going to shape my business? 
right? As we start to think about this from a value protection lens over the longer run, and how do I make those investments today to position myself for success tomorrow? Yeah. I, I agree, Reed. You, you know, you brought up something that I think is one of the problems with our business model, at least in the U.S. You know, you're like you said, you're just looking at that next quarter. You're not looking towards the future. I mean, you may have plans and everything, but when it gets right down to it, it's the current bottom line. And yes, there is a reality behind that. The reality is that you have to keep the doors open. You have to have the money today, but you will not succeed if you don't look over that horizon. And no matter what it is, whether it's a climate crisis or economic crisis or what's happening out in the Ukraine and Russia, we don't prepare for those things. We will not be successful. We won't have the future we want. Good point, good point. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the role of the insurance industry in addressing climate change. Insurers and brokers clearly have a vested interest in helping to manage this existential risk. What are some of the things they are doing and what more can be done to help customers? Reed? You know, there's a variety of actions. And, and one of the things that I'm proud about our industry is that we're leading on this front in multiple directions, whether it's it's organizations like Zurich from the carrier side, right, or brokers like, like Marsh. But maybe it's in three directions, right? One is how do we think about helping our clients with the transition that they need to make as they're going from a carbon-based economy to a less carbon-intensive or net-zero approach as they're moving forward? And that means everything, right, from this idea about how do we think about the physical asset risk and property risk engineering um, to make the organizations, their operations more resilient to the physical impacts of climate risk. Secondly, right, there's been a large push in our industry and what we're doing collectively to help our clients to understand and think differently about the risk to our physical assets, right? The advanced climate modeling that we're deploying to our clients the way that we're helping them think about near and long-term changes. And again, back to this understanding of, of longitudinal risk or risk impacts in different time horizons. But how is that climate gonna drive severe weather events and changes that will have an impact on operations? And finally, third, right, it's this idea that, that really helping our clients with the strategy components of this, not just here's what the report means in terms of an insurance spend, but how is the money that you're spending on insurance reducing the volatility of risk to your operations over the long run, de-risking your balance sheet from that perspective? And this ability now to move from these other elements that where we've traditionally been and to be really operating at the strategy level with our clients and helping them make these long-term decisions is I think a new role and a good challenge, but one that this industry is uniquely positioned to do. Yeah, good point, Reed. Rob, are climate risks now a part of the conversation when insurers meet with customers? Well, they always have been. I mean, it's inherent when you talk about the natural catastrophes, sure. uh, which have been around all the time. It's just they've gotten more intense and more of a risk and have affected everybody's uh, operations. So it's more a question of the idea that we have to do more than we have done in the past to mitigate sure. these risks. And I'd say the discussion also has to do with how there is more demand from our customers because they are recognizing that they need to be more environmentally sensitive. And this is coming from all different fronts. I mean, especially as an employer to retain employees, especially the younger generation, Gen Z, mm -hmm. they're demanding this. You know, so if they want to have the right workforce, they're going to have to be looking towards mitigating their carbon footprint, for example, reducing it. 
there are SEC and other regulations coming out there, which are talking about how you're going to have to be reporting what you're doing in this space. And just to be a good citizen, they recognize the need and they want to be good citizens that they have to reduce their carbon footprint. So the discussions you know, are very much around this. Read touched on most of them, but, you know, here at Zurich, you know, we do provide that. That's one of the things we do. We have the capability and knowledge to help our customers strategize, look towards the future for them to help them on their path to sustainability. We help them understand where they are today, mm -hmm. what risks they may face in the future, where they want to go, and how to get there. Yeah. So it's not just one thing. It's this multi-thing. You first have to know where you are and where you want to go and how we as an industry can help them get there. Excellent. Excellent. I want to quickly touch on cyber risks. Reed, since cyber is one of your areas of concentration, what does this year's Global Risks Report tell us about the perception of cyber as a risk? You know, there's maybe two ways to answer that. It's interesting because when you look at the list of the top risks for the near term and for tomorrow, cyber is not listed in those risks. Mm -hmm. In fact, the author is included as an element and say like, you know, but, but cyber is still important. We need to pay attention to it in the recognition. I think this really indicates to us that there's this perhaps new normal and acceptance that the volatility of cyber risk to our organizations, to our clients, is now this new normal that we're moving forward with. Almost the way we might talk about it from a climate perspective of adaptation yeah. to the environment from that perspective. But I think the other thing that's equally important in the report about cyber risk is where they start to highlight this concept of digital rights in the near term. And so this concept of, of really broadening our understanding and our definition of cyber risk, to think about it in terms of digital risk. And what that means as we move forward into a world um, increasingly, you know, fueled by artificial intelligence, right? Groundbreaking news over the past month or two around ChatGP and Microsoft's investment in this and what this means and the promise that that holds. But there's new risks as we start to think through these issues. And so the report is really highlighting, I think, new and evolving dimensions of what we might have talked about yesterday around the sort of traditional cyber risk. But again, this recognition for the need to be thinking and perhaps broadening our definition and understanding of this risk component. Yeah, yes. It's, it's good to know that the World Economic Forum recognized that cyber is still, a, regardless of the survey of results, is still a key risk that needs to be addressed. So you've both had some time to absorb the findings of the Global Risk Report. Are there any risks that you're surprised did not rank higher in the survey? Reed, why don't you go first? Well, I think it follows from the last question, David. Even though the cyber wasn't listed, but recognized by the authors of the report, pointing this, maybe this acceptance and adaptation that we're seeing, it does strike me nonetheless that it's not in sort of the top five um, from that perspective. Sure. I think that the other risks that, that surprised me that while well, the inclusion of things like digital rights are certainly important is pressing ourselves to think about what does the risks of AI mean to our businesses as we start to move forward? What does it mean in terms of model integrity as we're deploying it in different ways to make decisions, using it to make data-driven decisions? And how do we know that we can trust the underlying training data sets that the AI model are using to build the conclusions? How do we understand the implicit biases that are in it? How do we test for those, right? I mean, this is a lot of the issues that as risk professionals, we're going to have to come to terms with really grappling with that to better understand. So 
I think what I'm suggesting is I'm a bit surprised that we're not talking a little bit about future technology risk at the speed that it's racing towards us, but certainly understand given the past couple of years of events, why climate and these sure. issues and the impact on the populations are are the top risks of, and certainly top of mind for the authors and the people that they surveyed. Yeah, it's certainly not everything can make the top 10. There's a lot of risk to choose from. What about you, Robin? Is there anything that surprised you? Well, actually, with the uh, war between the Ukraine and Russia, I was surprised that nuclear disaster was not even on the list of the top 10. Uh, and yeah. when it gets right down to it, if we have a nuclear holocaust, it would wipe out any of today's climate concerns sure. uh, and it would be a whole new ballgame. Yeah. Uh, but to me, the biggest risk of all is to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And while some of these risks that are shown in the report seem insurmountable and I'm a bit of a Pollyanna, I'll admit it. I do believe that if each one of us takes action, even if it's just one small step to reduce a risk, we will be able to turn the tide and we'll be able to provide just a wonderful world for our future generations to come. And that's what has to happen. We have to all, again, back to read in the beginning, that call for action. We have to start taking the steps. And if each one will build on it, it will hopefully, like how everything is polycrisis interrelated, all those steps will become interrelated and the sum will be better than what we have right now. Excellent, thank you. Well, Robin, Reed, I want to thank you both for joining us today on this Future of Risk podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. For listeners who are planning to attend RIMS Risk World in Atlanta, you can see Robin and Reed in person on Tuesday, May 2nd. They will be talking with Marsha's Carolina Clint about global risks and resilience strategies at 1.30 p.m. in room 10. Robin will also be sharing highlights of the Global Risk Report at 10 a.m. that day in the Global Studio booth. For Future of Risk, I'm David Hilgen. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.